Good afternoon. And happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the room. Uh, honored to have you all here with us. Um, as has already been mentioned in the service, if you're not a mom, you at least have one. So happy Married to a Mom's Day, happy Child of a Mom's Day, and more importantly, happy Mom's Day to all of our moms. Uh, moms hold a near and dear place to my heart. Um, I was raised by a single mom uh, who filled in for lots of different roles, and, um, and so I'm so thankful for uh, the, the way God has crafted a mom's heart to jump in and serve uh, wherever is needed. Um, oftentimes, and almost always, uh, in, in the cause of self-sacrifice and putting the needs of others before your own. So there's a lot to celebrate, moms. Thank you for all that you do uh, for your families, for this church, and for God's kingdom. Um, today, we're going to be talking about the role of women in the church. And, uh, and not just because it's Mother's Day, that, that, that reason alone is enough, uh, but because as we move through the book of Acts, we're going to come across a really powerful story today in Acts 16, where God not only saves um, a particular lady, but he uses her in a really glorious way. And so we're going to look at that together in Acts chapter 16 together. Uh, we are journeying through the book of Acts as a church, and, uh, and let's just be honest, up until this point, um, it's been primarily a story about men and how God is using men and uh, in, in a glorious way to start and launch his church. Um, and as we noted at the very beginning of this um, sermon series, that this is not a story, the book of Acts is not a story about what men are doing, or even women for that matter, but what God is doing through men, and as we'll see today, through the lives of women uh, to launch his unstoppable church. And so I'm excited to have you all here with us today. Um, if you want to follow along and don't have a Bible, we put those under the seats around you. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, that's our free gift to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. Uh, so feel free to write your name in that, take that home. That's our gift to you. Um, so a couple things, too. Um, you may not be super familiar yet with um, all the, the cards in the seat in front of you. So just a quick overview. Um, if you're new with us today, visiting with us, that welcome card is for you. That's a chance for you just to jot down a little info so we can get back with you and tell you more about our church uh, and hopefully get you more connected. Um, if you've been here for a while and you're already looking for ways to get more connected, that next card, community card, has got some options on there as well. You could fill that out. Either one of those cards, you drop in a brown box on your way out and we'll be getting in touch with you. The mission card is a unique card. It's something new we're doing here. Um, oftentimes, when God puts things on our hearts or convicts us of things, uh, we don't write them down, and therefore, we forget, right? And so if God does that and challenges you in a specific way, especially if it's reaching out to a person, um, then that mission card is just a tangible reminder for you. If that helps you to pull that out, jot down whatever God speaks to you or challenges you and take that with you, and there's a tangible reminder tomorrow of what God spoke to you today. And then the top one, worship, that's uh, sermon notes, calendar, as well as reflection questions. So... There it is. Now, if you're paperless like me, scrap all that. Grab your phone. Here we go. Acts chapter 16. So here's where we are. Last week, uh, Paul, the apostle Paul, and Barnabas, these two uh, missionaries in the church, had this dispute um, over taking John Mark with them, and so they went their separate ways. So rather than reconciling and working through their differences, um, oftentimes like we do, they took their toys and went their own separate ways. What we saw, though, is despite the fact that they didn't work through their differences the right way, uh, God blessed their efforts and actually multiplied their work as Paul went up to the north and then to the west across towards Macedonia, revisiting the towns uh, where he had been stoned and where he had shared the gospel. Uh, then Barnabas with John Mark went to the island of Cyprus and revisited those towns. So despite the fact 
that um, they didn't work through the situation the way that God would have them work through it, God blessed it. And we, we made this statement that where the ideal is absent, in other words, what God would prescribe as the right way to do it, where that's absent, his grace abounds and fills up what is lacking. That's true not only for ministry, it's true in our own homes, it's true for my marriage, uh, where the ideal is lacking, where I fail as a husband, God's grace fills up and covers those mistakes and allows me to have an awesome marriage, right? Uh, God does that in our church where, right, leadership is not on top of their game or always making the best decisions. His grace covers those things. Um, I've seen it even in, uh, in my own home growing up, again, where God would call a man to marry a woman and lead her sacrificially. Didn't happen in my childhood. Mom was raising me by herself, and where the ideal was absent, uh, God blessed, and by his grace, my mom stepped up and did an amazing job. And so, so many of you women are in that particular situation for one reason or another. And so, uh, just because, right, just because the ideal is absent does not mean that God's grace doesn't abound and fill up what is lacking and that God would use you in amazing ways. And so we could apply that to every area of life, couldn't we? Parenting, being a friend, right? And so today what we're going to see is uh, though, though they went their separate ways and didn't necessarily handle their situation ideally, God blessed it. He multiplied the church. And now what's going to happen is we're going to pick up with Paul and his missionary journey. Now, two things to note. This is where Paul picks up Timothy, okay? Timothy's a, a young, will become a young pastor later in the New Testament. Uh, he meets Paul on this journey and begins to travel. It's also the place where Luke, the gospel writer Luke, the one who's writing the book of Acts, it's actually where he joins the journey as well because all of a sudden in verse 10, he starts using the word we instead of they. And so that little, that, just that little detail lets us know Luke is now giving us a firsthand account of what's taking place. And so... Uh, Paul has gone with uh, Silas, and he's picked up Timothy, and he's picked up Luke, and uh, now he's going to be headed towards Macedonia, which is modern-day Eastern Europe. Now, this is pretty strategic, because the gospel hasn't made it that far yet, and this is where we're going to pick it up in verse 11 of Acts 16. We read these words. So, setting sail from Traus, we made... A direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in the city some days. And this is Luke wants us to know this is a big deal. So not only has this missionary journey landed in Eastern Europe, they're at a leading city, the leading city of Philippi, it's a very influential city. Right? So this is a very strategic place to land. They're going to stay there for a while. Not only that, it's a Roman colony which will, God will use in just a little bit for his glory as Paul and Silas set up camp and start preaching the gospel. Now, what Paul normally does when he rolls into a city is he looks for a place of Jewish worship. This is typically where he starts, at least up to this point. So he'll try to find the synagogue, and then on Saturday, the Sabbath, he'll show up at the synagogue, because people are already gathered to hear about God, and he'll look for an opportunity to stand up and start teaching and preaching and pointing people to Christ. Uh, in the city of Philippi, however, there wasn't um, a significant of enough of a Jewish population to warrant a, having a synagogue. And so when this was the case, the, the believers, the Jewish believers, uh, would gather typically outside of the city along, uh, alongside a stream or a river. 
because they used that running water in their worship and in their ceremony, so they would, that's where they would meet. So this is what's going to happen here as Paul and his crew are there in Philippi. Um, in verse 13, we read that, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now, this is, may not be so easy to see it um, without the cultural context, but this was a pretty risky and taboo move for these guys. you got four men here, uh, and they're going to go sit down with a group of women. And for this culture, that was, they were crossing a lot of lines there. First of all, women in this culture um, didn't have a place of equal stature and standing with men. Oftentimes, they weren't even considered smart enough to talk about theology and the things of God. Okay, and so for them to go sit down with these women was pretty significant. But also, there were some other cultural boundaries that they were crossing here as well. See, it had been more appropriate for, the, for these men to go talk with these ladies' husbands and sit down with them and share the gospel and let the husbands share it with the women. However, where the ideal is absent, the grace of God abounds, and Paul sits down with these ladies and says, hey, I got some good news to share with you. Now, I want to make this note because there's a significant misunderstanding about the church and the role of women in our day and time and culture because we believe a Bible that says that men are called to lead in home and the church, right? There is a misinterpretation or understanding of that that would say, see, the church desires to, to keep women suppressed and unliberated and, right, and pushed down and, and undervalued. However, the opposite is actually true. Paul isn't doing something new here. He's actually falling in the footsteps of his Savior. It was Jesus who first broke these cultural norms and begin to speak to women and see them as people of value and worth, intelligent enough to talk about theological matters. Right? Jesus is the one who talks with a woman caught in adultery. Talk about taboo and risque. And it was Jesus who, who spent time talking with the woman who, who had been bleeding for years. It was Jesus um, who sat down with the woman at the well and had a conversation with her. And so what Paul's doing here is, is not first time or brand new. He's following in the footsteps of Jesus Right, who showed us that despite the, what the culture's saying, right, we're to have a God-centered biblical perspective on how we treat one another. And so even though they were breaking cultural norms, they weren't breaking biblical norms, biblical principles. Paul sat down with his crew, with these ladies, and said, ladies, let me share some good news with you. This God who you're praying to, he has sent a Messiah. Matter of fact, he sent his son Jesus as the Messiah. He's the one you've been longing for and praying for. He came. He actually died on the cross to pay for your sins, and he resurrected from the grave, giving you not only forgiveness of sins, but eternal life. All you have to do is believe, and, and he's your savior. And for these women, that was a big moment. Now, we're going to focus in on one of these particular women individually um, for most of the rest of our time, okay? Now, what I don't want to do is give men permission to somehow uh, start checking Facebook, Instagram, checking out, thinking about the rest of your day. Like, just because we're primarily speaking to women today and about the role of women today, if, if anything, men need to be lis listening more closely and more intently to what God would have to say and how God wants to use women in his kingdom. Now, we're going to hone in on a particular lady by the name of Lydia, Okay. We'll learn a little bit about her real quick just so we can get some context. 
Verse 14 says this, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. She was a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Let's stop there. So this is basically what that means. So she came from the city of Thyatira. Uh, that may sound familiar to you. It's one of the churches mentioned in Revelation. Uh, and when mentioned in Revelation, um, Jesus says, here's some things you were doing really well about you know, in, in Thyatira, but one thing I have against you is your, your sexual immorality and your unwillingness to repent from that. So that's, that's what Thyatira was known for. They also were producers of fine linens, which meant the purple linens, okay? So the finer garments, not your old navy or Aeropostale, but like your, your Gucci was all purple. And so this lady, evidently, that was her craft. And she came from Thyatira. That's what she did for a living. So when you read that, that's what that's about. Now, more importantly, though, is the very next verse, the very next phrase in verse um, 14, I would put forth as the most significant phrase that we're going to read today. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Now, why is that so important? God would have us to understand him as an initiator. This is so important to understanding our relationship with him. God initiated this relationship with Lydia. She didn't come to this understanding on her own. She didn't, she didn't discover who God was on her own, right? Her, she didn't open her own heart to God. Paul didn't open her heart. God opened her heart, which says what? God initiated this relationship with Lydia. Rather than putting forth a bunch of steps for her to go through, um, boxes to check, God did the work to open her heart. Now, it's so important for us to understand that that's how God works and relates with all of us. So, up and against and in contrast to the culture around us outside the church that would say, you can have your rightful place, but you've got to earn it. Right? You've got to check these boxes. You've got to make it to this stature in your career. You've got to prove yourself, right? Ladies know this all too well. We'll give you respect and honor, but you've got to earn it first. God comes to Lydia and says, no, you don't. I'm going to do the work for you. I'm going to open your heart that you could hear this good news that these guys are sharing with you. Why? Because God wants Lydia more than Lydia wants God. Do you hear that, ladies? God wants you more, and I'm not questioning how much you want God, but more than you want him. So much so that he would initiate it. He would be the first one to cross the dance floor, if you will, to open your heart to see him for who he is. That's so important. Especially in a culture where you have to constantly prove yourself to prove that you're worthy, to prove that you're smart enough and competent enough. And it's such a, a paradox, isn't it? This, just thinking about this message this week and thinking about this false image that you're sold, ladies, that, right, so like covers of magazines, Vogue, like if you want to have worth and value, you need to look like this, which is just kind of, um, uh, it's kind of, it's got to be so hard to be a woman. I'm just telling you, because like, because the cover changes every month, right? 
I mean, what a foolish, fleeting thing to try to look like this person to have worth or value. But then up and against that on the other end of the spectrum, did you see what Dove did this week? They released their new series of body wash bottles. Anybody see that? So seven, I think, six or seven new body wash bottles, um, and each one is in a different shape of a woman. You've got the tall, slender one. You've got the short, round one. You've got the pear-shaped one. And, and their attempt was to encourage women when they're in the shower that other women look like them. Now, right, so two, com- two completely different ways, right, to try to value women. Here's the problem. Both of them are dealing with what's on the outside. And the gospel, right, the Bible would come to you, ladies, and say, that's not who you are. Are you kidding me? Some of you may look prettier to the culture around you, but that's not how God sees you. That body you have, it's temporary. It's like a tent. That's not your permanent home. Why in the world would you allow something temporary that's constantly changing and fleeting to define who you are in terms of your worth and your validation? Now, here's the struggle. Um, I've talked about this even with like ladies in in my own community group about this very thing that while ladies want to believe that, that's good news, right? However, you have to operate and live in a culture that tells you something different, right? So if you could just imagine for one day not putting on the makeup, just wearing your t-shirt, your comfy clothes, right? That's very liberating until you think about how people are going to treat you, right? How people are going to look at you. All of a sudden, they're not opening doors anymore, and men aren't giving you that attention anymore, and that's the culture you live in. Right, and here's, again, just further paradox. Here's the irony. What the world's attempting to do to liberate you is not working. Hence the need for more marches, right? Hence the need for more pushes to try to liberate women. And God is saying through the gospel, I created you and I alone can liberate you and value you and give you security and joy. That only comes through a relationship with my son Jesus, and so first and foremost, God's plans for Lydia's life was not what she was going to do in, uh, in, in church and in ministry or what she was going to do for her family. First and foremost, God came to Lydia and said, I'm calling you to be my daughter. That's your most important identity. That will supersede your role as a wife and a mom, as an employee, as a friend, as a volunteer in the church. First and foremost, you are my daughter. And that should anchor your soul, ladies should anchor your soul. Now, from here, what God is going to do is he's gonna begin this amazing work through Lydia. But first and foremost, he begins with his amazing work in Lydia to adopt her as his daughter into his kingdom. And so God opened her heart that she could believe because God wanted Lydia more than Lydia wanted God. Now, the next thing that happens is this. There's this immediate response Immediate response to the joy that she has in Christ. Verse 15, and after, after what? After God opened her heart. And after that, she was baptized. That happened pretty quickly, right? So it probably happened right there. I mean, they're already out there at the river, and that's where they're at. And so Lydia, like a lot of ladies, what do I need to do now? Give me my list of things to do, right? First thing, be baptized. Perfect, let's do it right now. Right after that, look at what happens. So she was baptized and her household as well. She urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to, st- come to my house and stay. 
and she prevailed upon us. And what I think Luke wants us to understand is like she was like urging that, please come stay at my house. I'd be honored if you would come stay at my house. And we see immediately she's living out the mission in her own home, right? Immediately. Again, a misunderstanding that because God has called men to lead in their homes that somehow women don't have a significant role in your own households leading your family to Christ. Even if you have a godly husband who's leading you as a servant, humble leader, dying to himself daily for your good, even if you have that, ladies, you have a significant role in leading your family to Christ. My wife has led me to Christ often in our marriage. She leads our boys to Christ often, constantly pointing us towards the truth of the gospel, reminding us that we're loved and we're forgiven. One of the most powerful things you can do, ladies, for your family, show them what faith looks like. Show them what faith looks like. You tell them you need to believe in Jesus, right? Trust him as your Lord and Savior. That's the most important decision you can make. But ladies, you can show them what faith looks like. Live that out tangibly. What does it look like to trust God when things get rough? When things take a turn that seems like it's for the worst or it's unpredictable, and, right? Show your family how to trust God and walk by faith. One of the most powerful things you can do. And here in this situation, we don't know the details. We just know she had a family and God used her immediately to lead them to Christ. Once again, I think I wanna take a moment just to encourage um, two different groups of ladies, single moms, if there's any single moms in the room. I wanna, I wanna encourage you in this. Where the ideal is absent, the grace of God abounds and God will work through you. He will. He'll work through you to lead your children. I know the lies that the enemy would try to tell you, especially if you've got little boys. You can't raise these little boys. You need a man. Listen, God will work through you, okay? Some of you ladies got a husband or dad's there, but he's not a spiritual leader. That happens far too often in our, our culture and society. And I know you've been begging, you've been praying, God, right? Awaken his heart. Cause him to lead this family spiritually. And you've got a significant role, ladies, to step in until God chooses to do that work. Some of you have been praying for your family members for years. And so what happened with Lydia hasn't happened for you yet. You've been praying for him or for your kids for years. Maybe today God would just remind you of that important mission he's given you. Right, you see, this, this beautiful gospel we have is so liberating, ladies. And it's different from the message you're gonna hear from our culture today that would say, if you wanna have security, you need to have a good job, you need to have a good man. God would say to you, those things are fleeting and foolish. That job and that man can be taken from you like that. Don't find your security in fleeting things. The world would say to you, if you want, you want to make it up the ladder, you want some influence, you want some power, you got to flaunt it, you got to advertise a little bit, you got to show that you can look good, right? The gospel says, don't you bring that mess. Nothing could be more beautiful than being a daughter of the Most High God. So we see God not only saving Lydia, but using her immediately to impact her family. And then, I want to point this out to you as well before we finish today. So here's what happens next. Um, Paul and Silas uh, get thrown in prison um, because um, they cast the demon out of this girl. They're thrown in prison. Um, while they're there, they keep living the mission. They don't give up. 
Uh, so the jailers converted to Christ, and then they realized, because remember this is a Roman colony, Paul's a Roman citizen, uh-oh, we shouldn't have thrown him in, in prison without trial. So they apologized to Paul and let him out. We're going to pick this up in verse 40. I want you to see where Paul goes right when he's let out of prison. So, so this is after they apologized to Paul and Silas. So they went out of the prison and visited who? Lydia. Okay. Then I want you to look at what's taking place here. So they go to Lydia's house. Remember, they'd been there. And when they had seen the brothers, that phrase is talking about the church. That's the Greek word. Even though it says brothers, it could be translated brothers and sisters. In the New Testament, that's the word to describe oftentimes the church. So not only are they visiting Lydia at her house, who else are they visiting at her house? The brothers, the Christians, those who have been saved. You begin to see this church emerging in Philippi through Lydia, her salvation, her open home, her witness to her family, and, and Paul goes back to her house, encourages the brothers, and then they encouraged them, and then they departed. Now, if this were the only account in the New Testament of God using a lady, you might say, well, that's just a one-off story, right? But it's not. Matter of fact, it's not the only story in the Scripture. The Scriptures are full of God using amazing women from all kinds of backgrounds, faithful religious backgrounds and prostitutes, God using woman after woman to advance his kingdom, fulfill his purposes here on earth, Sarah and Hannah. How about the, the women who accompanied Jesus in his ministry? Who were the first ones at the resurrection? Women were there. They're the ones who went and told the disciples, hey guys, get off your duff. Jesus rose from the dead. The tomb is empty. Over and over again, Paul mentions all these amazing women serving in the kingdom of God. Uh, Romans 16, he ends his letter by telling the church uh, to welcome Phoebe. This is what he says about Phoebe. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant or a deaconess of the church of Cetria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and myself as well. Just one of many ladies who are a part of this amazing gospel movement in the church exploding. Um, and then if we go to the letter that Paul wrote to the, um, the Philippians. So this is the church where Lydia gets saved. Starts in her home. Years later, Paul writes a letter back to this church. And evidently, Lydia wasn't the only one who was engaged in ministry in Philippi. Because at the end of Paul's letter... He mentions some other ladies. He says, I entreat uh, Yodia and entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companions, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. And so Lydia's example, right, transferred to other women in the church in Philippi who saw her example and allowed God to work through them for his glory. Now, I know the culture and the society we live in, they don't, they don't celebrate a lot of the God-given roles you have, ladies. Like, for example, the fact that God brings into existence eternal beings through your womb. Show me a man that can do that. Right? 
And, and yet the culture would look at you and go, oh, you're a stay-at-home mom. Like God has given you some glorious pieces of his kingdom work. God is not only moving the church through you, he's moving humanity through your womb, forward. Like, right? Every person, right, who is being saved, who will step into eternity as the church has come from the womb of a mom who gave herself sacrificially to bring a child into this world. And I'm just, that's just the beginning, right? And so, like, do not let the world, like, trample on your God-given created purposes. But first and foremost, we have to remember, ladies, your primary calling in this life is to become a daughter of the Most High God. That's your primary identity. From there, God desires to use you and work through you in some amazing ways. Some of you will bring children into this world and raise them to know and love Jesus. Some of you will not. Some of you will engage in ministry here in the church, and some of you will engage in ministry outside the church, and many of you will do both. I was talking to Brian Lamb this past week about this message and talking about how different Solid Rock would be without women serving. And we just, we just listed ministry after ministry. First, let's, Awana, let's throw that one out there. Where would that ministry be without our ladies, right? It, it had long since been done. And even at the, the sacrifice and detriment that many of our Awana volunteers don't get to come to women's ministry because it happens at the same time. Now, once again, it shouldn't be that way. Men should be stepping up to let the women go to women's ministry, but women serving faithfully our children in Awana, kids ministry on Sunday morning, many ladies serving more than one service, student ministry, serving as mentors and small group leaders to our high school students, junior high students, um, our worship team, right? There's an obvious example. Um, you may not be aware of this, but we have a songwriting culture here in our church. Many women engaged in that, which you're going to get to see next Sunday night at Night of Music. Uh, several songwriters here in our crew that are ladies, God using women, uh, women's ministry, hospitality. Um, our admin team, holy cow, one of the hardest working crews here at our church is 100% ladies. I dare a guy to get on that team. I dare you. Holy cow, I, get, I moved out of my office. They're, they just, they worked too hard for me. They ran me out of my office. I don't even have an office anymore. Three, four, five servants up here during the week doing what seems to a lot of us like mundane printing and proofreading and typing and posting and all that kind of stuff, copying and hole punching and like serving Jesus through these tasks. God using you. Um, hospitality, seasons decor, women's ministry, community groups, mission leadership team, staff. I was talking to Brian this week. I was, we were having that conversation, and Brian's like, you know, our women here at Solid Rock way outserve our men. I agree with him. Ladies, you are a significant part of what God is doing through this church. I had to clarify with Brian, did, did you mean staff as well? And he said, yeah, even the staff. Now, that's not a knock on the, on the guys. That's me affirming ladies and your role here at the church. I hope that if nothing else, the men maybe are stirring a little bit, saying, I need to step it up a little bit, right? Maybe I need to get more engaged in what God's doing here. But ladies, just because men has, God has called men to lead in the home and lead in the church does not negate your value or your role in his kingdom. Anything that's quite the opposite. 
God has called you to be his daughter. He has gifted you for his kingdom work, and he wants to work through you to impact the eternity of other people. Could there be any greater job on earth? No. I don't know how God may be challenging or encouraging each person here in this room. I suspect maybe the men different from the women, maybe not. Um, Maybe today, ladies, this is the day you realize God wants you more than you want him, and this will be the first day you would allow him just to open your heart and trust in Jesus for your salvation. Most, most important gift you could ever give to your family is to trust Christ and let him begin to work in you. And so if that's you today, I hope you'll do that before you leave. Um, our prayer partners are gonna be at the back of the room in just a moment, and they would love to talk with you about becoming a Christian and trusting in Jesus, making the same decision that Lydia made. And then from there, fasten the seatbelt because God is gonna work through you to impact your family and this church and this community. Maybe today you realize, you know what? I've been, I got this out of order. I've been doing the whole, the whole working thing, serving and volunteering. I need to hit the brakes there. I need to come back and I need to get my heart right with God. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe today you realize, you know what? I've been letting this, this, this reality that I don't live in the ideal be an excuse. I thought since I didn't have the perfect family or the perfect situation, God just didn't want to use me. Maybe today you're hearing that, no, God wants to pour his grace and bless anyway and work anyway. And maybe that's where you're at today. So I'm just going to invite you into a time of prayer now. And, and as I do so, our worship team is going to come back up, get us ready to sing. Um, our prayer partners are going to make their way to the back of the room. Uh, let me just take a moment to lead us in prayer, and then we'll respond. Um, Father, thank you for this beautiful example in Lydia, um, this example of how not only do you love and desire to have a relationship with women, God, you, you see them as an equal part of your creation, and even though the roles between men and women can be different sometimes, God, you've created us equal in value and worth, and so God, thank you for that story today. Um, God, I pray over the women who are here today that today you would meet each woman where they are. God, you would meet each struggle where it is. God, for the men who are here today, God, you would stir our hearts as well. And so now as we stand to sing, God, would you open up our hearts that we could respond to you? We pray all this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus.